Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, almost wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Ford Kia Hyundai, best in new inventory with great warranties. Terrific pre-owned inventory with the very important Sunbury Motors guarantee because they go over every vehicle. Terrific service department that backs it all up every step of the way. From routine to difficult, they handle it at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15, Humble's Wharf online at sunburymotors.com. Scott Fransky in a moment. Play-by-play call the day. One half of the World Series is set. 102 losses in 2021. Grounded a second. Two years removed from losing 100. The Rangers have won the pennant. The champions of the American League toppling the Houston Astros. Joe Davis with a call on Fox last night. And very pleased now to be joined by the outstanding play-by-play voice of the Philadelphia Phillies getting ready for Game 7, Scott Fransky. Scott, thanks. Welcome back. Hey, good to talk with you. All right. We're still going. Yeah, it's still going, and let's see if it's let's see, get one tonight and see get, keep going on Friday. Yeah, that'd um, be great. That'd be great. Yeah, w- so let's uh, virtually all hands are on deck. I can't imagine Aaron Nola's uh, you know available tonight. But if they were to need an inning or a couple of batters out of Zach Wheeler, the way Texas used Jordan Montgomery last night, is that door open? Do you think? Yeah, I think it's wide open. Absolutely. Um, I think Wheeler would relish it. I think the Phillies uh, have that firm. You know, that they'd be willing to do that again. You know, it's a little different than, say, when they did it with the Ranger last year in the playoffs. Uh, they kind of flirted with it this year as well. But uh, I, I, I think, I, I just think you have to. Um, the Phillies know that Zach Wheeler is their best pitcher. Um, so he's going to have to, you know, I mean, if they've got outs to take down in a close game or whatever, I got to believe he's going to try to take some of them down. Uh, how have you felt about Ranger the way he has pitched the last three weeks? He's been great. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, he's really good. He's um, you know pitch real deep into games, I guess, and and that's not really necessarily his fault. Uh, the Phillies have kind of by design uh, gone away from him a couple times. Uh, I know in Atlanta that was the case. His first start, he was kind of cut short. You know, the, that was kind of their plan to go to the bullpen. But uh, you know, I think I think. Um, you know, they feel like he's, as they said yesterday, the right guy, the right time. He's he's kind of, uh, you know, made for this type of situation. Uh, they they know that the moment is not going to get him. Uh, the intensity of it, the sort of extreme pressure of it, uh, that's not going to be what gets him. Um, you know, if he doesn't have feel for a pitch or whatever, that's a different story. But it's not going to be the moment that, that rattles Ranger Suarez. Uh, Brandon Pfaff went out and was outstanding in his start. Um, when you looked at him, what made him a tough pitcher? 
You know, uh, well, for one, I don't think they saw him real well, and whether that was, you know, getting adjusted to the dome, uh, you know, the lighting in there wasn't great. A lot of the guys were kind of, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't like a sour grapes, but, I mean, they're like, yeah, you know, these domes, you come to these domes, you, you just don't see as well. Um, that's just just a matter of fact. Um, but I will say, you know, I mean, I look back to his start a little bit today and kind of watch some of the, some of the pitch sequencing and stuff like that again. And, um, you know, he was down with a lot of stuff. And he, 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 he used that sweeper of his uh, down below the zone. He had really good command of it, good location. Uh, his fastball, he used it up above the hands, and, and guys couldn't lay off. Uh, and, again, not having seen him before, he's able to get away with that at 93, 94. Maybe this time will be different. I don't know. But, you know, the Phillies are definitely need to try to stay off of that fastball that rides up out of the zone. And, um, you know, they got to get him in the zone because, uh, you know, you go back and what little success they had against him was generally on pitches that were up uh, and up in the strike zone. So, uh, you know, all in all, I think you go back and you look at it, you kind of tip your cap to him because I think he pitched a pretty good game. But, you know, we'll see if they have a better approach against him the right. second time around. Exactly. Uh, in the first two games in Philadelphia, Corbin Carroll got on base. He had a broken bat single. And then in game two, he let off, and Trey made the error at short. Here's a guy that stole, stole 54 bases. He didn't go either time. Last night, they ran. Now, they probably have more opportunity, but they ran. What's the thought process in watching the aggressiveness with which Arizona played with last night compared to what we saw in games one and two? Well, i got to be honest with you. I don't think they were all all that much more. I mean, I know they ended up with whatever three more stolen bases, but two of them were stolen blind off of Ryan Kirkering. Right. And the other one was and the other one was a first and third that they were totally willing to give up. They let Christian Walker steal second because they were more worried about the batter and getting out of that inning with two outs. So, again, I don't think – I think the pitchers, uh, you know, the Phillies in general have done a really good job of uh, mixing up looks, mixing up times, whether it's slide step, throwing over, uh, you know, a little bit longer hold, things like that. I think they've done a pretty good job of sort of, uh, you know, uh, mitigating the run game of, of the Diamondbacks. I still don't feel like the Diamondbacks have been able to sort of play their game the way they totally want to play it. Um, now, last night, you know, again, the Phillies score one run. Uh, the the bigger issue here is the way the the offense has gone the last four games. Uh, to me, that's the the central central issue. And I mean, Schwarber's hit a lot of home runs, but they're all solos. Nobody's on base for him. Um, you know, Cassianos hasn't had a hit since his first at bat of the series. Um, you know, those, those that, the, <laughs> seven and of course nine with Rojas, they've done virtually nothing the entire series. Um, and that's tough to overcome, especially when you're trying to have somebody on base for those big guys at the top, like Schwarber, Turner, Harper, who have, you know, no doubt uh, held their own at times. But uh, I think the biggest issue is whether the offense can get something going tonight against the Diamondbacks. Because I think if they do, if they get some, you know, points on the board early, as they say, I think um, it could really go their way. I know in Penn State basketball, Dick Girardi, who goes with the Daily News for years, Dick and I will always say, hey, look, play with the lead. How important would it be for the Phillies with that crowd to play with the lead? Yeah, I think it's always important, and I think we've seen it throughout the postseason. Uh, you know, the team that scores first generally is the one that goes on to win it. I think that says a lot about the way the game is managed these days. I think it says a lot about the way 
um, uh, bullpens are used these days. And, uh, you know, you're never going to get a third and a fourth look at a starting pitcher. So you can't make the adjustment. You've got a new, new arm to face. Uh, and I think that's what they talk about nowadays in the game of baseball when playing with the lead. And I think it allows you to play a little looser. Um, you know, uh, the, 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 this is one of those things where it's really important that if you do get behind early, that you don't panic. And um, mm-hmm. Rob Thompson has told a story uh, to us numerous times about a, a wild card game they had. I think it was against the Twins, and I'm not sure what year it was, when he was back bench coach for uh, New York. And, and he said, hey, um, uh, he said when they hit a home run in the first inning, I believe it was um, – trying to think who, uh, who who it was. Uh, Dozier, maybe Brian Dozier. He said, when Brian Dozier hits a home run yep. in the first inning, nobody panic. Nobody panic. And sure enough, he hit a home run in the first inning. They're down right away. They end up coming back to win the game. So I think that's a big message is that, hey, look, you get down early, play your game, have your good at-bats, don't press, don't try to do too much, be who you are, um, and and you guys, you know, you, you, could, you can get back in it and, and reclaim the lead. Yeah, it was Brian Dozier, in fact. Uh, he has used his relievers instead of, hey, it's Mariano Rivera, it's the ninth inning, he's got the ball, that's it, maybe we'll go five outs, whatever. He's used right. his relievers in high-leverage situations. What's your what's your thought on that? Because, you know, obviously, he it's been working. But what's your thought on that, that saying, hey, look, this is the moment, so this is where I actually need my guy? Yeah, I, I'm a fan of it. Um, yeah. I, I believe that now again, you know, leverage situation, you know, tonight might come in the fourth inning. Right. So, uh, or the second, quite frankly. I mean, uh, you, you just don't have much runway left, right? So, I, I'm of the mind that, especially in today's game, if you have to get their best hitters, you need to throw your best pitcher. And, um, you know, by and large for the Phillies, and especially against Arizona, that means Jose Alvarado against the top of their order. Um, mm-hmm. Doesn't mean, matter if the guy's left-handed or right-hander. It, that's the be- the, those are the best hitters that the Diamondbacks have, and those are the guys that Alvarado's got to get. Now that means somebody else has to get the other righties, who still are dangerous lower in the order. But again, I think it um, I think it's the the right way for this bullpen to to be managed, uh, and that is hey, uh, I got a situation developing here in this inning, in this spot, that could totally change the game. I need my best guy on the hill. And generally, that's Alvarado. And does that then go back to my original question about, is that guy actually tonight early Zach Wheeler? Yeah, it might be. Um, it could very well be. Now, I uh, I doubt, I highly doubt you're going to see Wheeler come into a game with traffic on the bases. Right. Yeah. I don't. I, I think what they do is they use somebody like Hoffman to kill the inning, you know, Dominguez to kill the inning if they can, and then go to Wheeler for, you know, a, a clean inning, a clean couple of innings, or a one, maybe even just a one plus or whatever the case might be. You know, he says he throws anywhere between 15 and 40 pitches on his side day. And, and I know Zach is a guy who, you, who who likes to keep his arm moving every single day. He, he's told me before, he says, I go out and I throw every single day. Now, it's not always full speed ahead or anything like that, but he is going to get his arm, you know, as he likes to say, kind of get the blood going. So he'll be ready to go. This would be his work day anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and again, you could get 40 pitches, couple innings, right? Maybe even 
into a two plus. I don't know. Um, but again, I, they don't want to do anything to put Zach or the club in jeopardy um, moving forward. But you know, there is no you know, there's no tomorrow if you lose tonight. So right. uh, you got to play your best guys. Uh, and just one more about that. How long does it take him usually for a start to warm up? Because I mean, pitching in relief yeah. is a little different ball game. Yeah, and I, you know, I mean, I don't know what he'll do in terms of changing his routine. He obviously, you know, the starter will go out there and he'll do certain things to, you know, play long toss and and these other things mm-hmm. to get ready. They have a pretty, you know, set routine. But now he's he's going to have his set routine that he does to throw a bullpen midweek, right, in between starts. I would assume it would be something similar to that, right? And he's not going to get fired up and hot and ready in eight or nine pitches. That won't happen. And that's why it's more more probable that he comes in with a clean inning rather than trying to kill an inning with, with runners on. So uh, it's a game seven, all right? Yeah. So what's, it, what's it like for you? I you're totally on edge. I'll be honest with you. Um, I you know I've not done Game Seven. I've done a winner take all before in 2011, uh, the yeah. Halliday Carpenter matchup. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know I uh, yeah it's it's cool. It's <laughs> I'm getting a lot of texts from friends and you know faraway places and uh, a lot of them happen to be in Texas, which is my hometown. Uh, that's where I grew <laughs> up and that was the first team I worked for. So. They're wondering if uh, I'll be there on Friday night or not. So, um, yeah, it's um, it's it's. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, should be a fun experience, and um, you know, um, it's been a great run, been a great ride for the team, and uh, we certainly hope it continues. Well, hopefully, you're there on, on in Arlington on Friday. That'd be great. That'd be great. So. Yep. All right. Hey, thanks so much, Scott. Really appreciate it on game day. You took time for us. Yeah, no problem. Talk to you again soon. That'll be on Eagle 107 tonight. The brilliant Scott Fransky. Coming up, Neil Kulong, final half hour. As we return with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070, WKOK. Want to work for a stable yet growing company? Got it. Want to work for a family-owned business with over 100 years' experience in taking care of customers and employees? Got it. Want to work for a leader in selling more cars and satisfying more customers? Got it. Who has all that? SMC Sunbury Motor Company is looking for technicians across all their departments. Whether you're an entry-level technician, an experienced technician, or someone looking for a career change, Sunbury Motors would love to hear from you. They're looking for technicians for their quick lane, car and light truck service, heavy truck service, body shop, and frame and alignment division. You can apply online at sunburymotors.com, in person at our North 4th Street location, or call Todd at 570-286-7746. Your new career of working on Fords, Kias, Hyundais, Western Star trucks, plus anything that fits in the door, and some things that don't. Join Sunbury Motors. Your new career is waiting for you. Okay, uh, Penn State, Indiana on Saturday. So Tommy McCarthy's in an interesting spot. (laughs) The Phillies win tonight. And uh, to be honest with you, I mean, I would be very surprised if they didn't win tonight. That's just me. No, no dog in the hunt, but you know I think it'd be fun to have the Phillies in the World Series again. And I, and if they were to go in the World Series, 
the way the two teams hit, Rob Thompson and Bruce Bochy might be on the field walking back and forth on the dugout more than the DHs. Okay. <laughs> but that's that's a different story, different day. Okay. Um but the first game would be Friday night. Tommy's got a game here on Sunday. I mean Saturday at noon. He's doing the CBS game. That's why he was it, he was privately hoping for Houston to win. Uh Brendan Soresby is going to be the starting quarterback for Indiana in the game. Uh Jackson, who had been the starter, and he's Trace Jackson Davis's brother, the Indiana basketball player. He had transferred it from Tennessee. He'd been the starter the first half of the the first part of the season. And then last week they switched to Soresby against Rutgers. And Tom Allen in his press conference yesterday said that Soresby's going to get the start again this week. Said he played gutty, played with a lot of energy. And he played a little bit against Penn State last year. I I mean they I don't think he played enough to crush his red shirt um when they played last year. Uh so I think he still um And when you look at, you know, and Penn State won the game big last year. I mean, you know, as we all know. Um, but Jack Tuttle started at quarterback in that game. And then Tuttle got hurt. Dexter Williams came in. He got hurt. Soresby did play in the game last year. And he was 3 of 6 for 8 yards and had an interception. But, uh, but Brendan Soresby will be the starting quarterback for Indiana. They love to get the ball to Jalen Lucas. He is their leading rusher. He's also their leading receiver. He is also their punt returner. He is also their kickoff returner. So needless to say, you know which guy they want to get the ball to. He's one of them. Uh, he went 15-31 against Rutgers for 126 with a touchdown, no interceptions. He's thrown three, t- three touchdowns, no interceptions this year. And he has played, and this will be the sixth game he has played in this year. So, got in late against Ohio State, got in late against Maryland, got in late against Michigan, started against Rutgers, and then they had the Indiana State game in control, so we got in and played that game as well. But so he will get it. And again, he is a redshirt freshman. Uh, because when he played against Penn State last year, he did not go over four games. And we'll see uh starting at noon on Saturday. But for Tommy, that's going to be an interesting little deal. I mean, if the Phillies win tonight, how's he going to make that work? (laughs) It is, to be honest with you, a fun dilemma to have. Right? I got the World Series and I've got a game on CBS. Well, okay. It's not a bad life. Well, it's 8.03 first pitch Friday and Saturday night. So really, it's seven oh three central out there, right? 
Right. So he's got an extra hour to work with if he's going to try to somehow pull that off. Are there any flights from State College to Dallas, I guess? I mean, I don't know if CBS would, like, let's just say getting here, whether CBS would charter him. Yeah. I don't know. Or can I mean, the Phillies do that? that works out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Phillies can charter him. Sure they could. But, I mean, you've got to be able to get here. Now, are the Phillies responsible for getting him here? You know, CBS is responsible for getting him here. Right. Now, Phillies could be responsible for getting him back. It'll be interesting. Let's see how tonight plays out. But it is an interesting dilemma, which I know, as in talking to him, I know he's thought about. Well, we're hoping to get him back sometime this week after we talked to him last week, so we'll see how it all plays out. Yeah. yeah we'll, we'll see. It's uh, quite the dilemma. John Wilner from the San Jose Mercury News, who did such great reporting on the Pac-12, put out this tweet. The Big Ten should ban Michigan from the postseason. Elaborate, premeditated, resource-heavy, multi-year effort to gain a competitive advantage. Pretty simple, really. Stuart Mandel. If there's already this much reported evidence of a scheme to illegally gain an on-field advantage, the Big Ten should consider banning Michigan from its championship game. I would also agree with that. Absolutely. Oh, no, they're following your lead. I mean, you said it right away. <laughs> and seriously, you did. Yeah. You said it right no, away. No, but I didn't think about it from the Big Ten. Yeah, they should consider that. The Big Ten themselves. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, almost warp online. SunburyMotors.com. Ford Kia Hyundai, the best in new inventory with great warranties. Terrific pre owned inventory with the Sunbury Motors guarantee. And a great service department. Routine, difficult, they handle it all, and they need more technicians, by the way. So if that's up your alley, give them a call. It's all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia Routes 11 and 15, Hummels Wharf, and online at sunburymotors.com. Always one of our favorite times every week, Tuesdays with Neil. Sir, welcome. As always, it is the best part of my week to be here. I hope you guys are having an excellent day as well. So far, so good. Uh, Neil, I want to start with Sean McVay. I've always found him to be, obviously, a really good coach. He's won a Super Bowl. But I've always found it interesting the way either he challenges or uses timeouts during the course of a game. And I felt like in this game, in the end, it came back to burn him. What was your thought? Um. As far as it pertains to McVay, I, I would say I, I think he's pretty much a perfectionist. He's kind of a control freak, I and mean, obviously a lot of uh, 
coaches are going to be like that. And to my knowledge, I'm, I'm thinking here, maybe I'm wrong, but I believe he used the second-half timeouts on offense. Yeah. And to me, that, that kind of suggests um, he, he needs to have everything the way that he wants it to be, the way that it needs to be. It's not so much strategic. It's more um, coordination. Something's not right about what they're looking at. And in that case, unfortunately, the Rams, <laughs> it kind of came down to that, ironically, that uh, the challenge rules prevented the, the right call from being made. Um, more rules you have, the more they're going to overlap. And I, I think uh, he certainly would have liked to have had another challenge back, but at the same time, um, let's let's open ourselves up to the possibility that you know they weren't going to score a touchdown on the next play to tie the game. Um, there was still a lot of work for them to have done uh, mm-hmm. if the spot was put where it certainly seemed like it should have been. Um, the game wasn't over. Uh, it, it, his team got beat pretty handily in the fourth quarter, and it's not mm-hmm. at all the impression that you would have got um, watching the first three quarters of that game. If anything, I, my thought was, I think I tweeted this as well, it, whatever the Steelers are doing through the first three quarters of the game, you need to put them away because – if you're letting them hang around, they're they're going to come back, and something's going to happen. They're going to do things. You're going to have special teams mistakes, and all of a sudden, boom, they're in the lead, and you've got one of the best pass rushers in the last 20 years in the NFL coming after your quarterback when you're behind. Um, it, it didn't come to that. It almost did, but Kenny Pickett, once again, uh, is, is playing above and beyond what we see from him for most of the game. Uh, in in the time that you know, as the game goes on, you really need him to, and he did. Uh, the Rams didn't close the door. They, uh, to, to, I hate to use that cliche, but you got to put this team away. You know, you can beat them three quarters, and they'll beat you in one and win the game. And that's that's really uh, what we saw Sunday. And I, I think McVay certainly has you know legitimate beef with how uh, the final sequence of, of uh, decisive plays went down. Um, whether he saved the timeout or not, mm-hmm. they they surrendered a tremendous advantage in this game. And yeah. once again, we talk about it every week. It's a game that the Steelers just really shouldn't have won and, and somehow pulled it off. I want to talk about Watt for a moment. In watching the 49ers the last two games, I watched a decent amount of their game with Cleveland, and I watched a decent amount of their game last night with the Vikings. And look, they want to rush four. I mean, that's the whole thing. I mean, it looks like eight to nine times out of ten they want to rush four and drop, which puts a lot of pressure on Bosa to make a play. He hasn't made plays the last two weeks. Why is it that Watt makes plays every week, regardless of what they're trying to do to him? Oh, I hate the answer that comes to my mind, because I, I don't want to disparage Nick Bosa. I, I think he's a phenomenal player. Um uh-huh. Sure. Seeing seeing Watt and Bosa, and you throw in Garrett to that as well. You're looking at Hall of Fame level players uh, at right. their prime, yep. and they're they're pushing each other to do more. Um, I was at the the game last night, the, the Vikings and Forty Niners, and I, I said to the people that I was with, I was like, we haven't heard Bosa's name much. He's got to do something at some point here. When I watch Micah Parsons, that happens. When I watch Miles Garrett, that happens. T.J. Watt does it naturally you know it just it, it, he is at the moment he's above the moment in, in relative in comparison to his opponents both didn't the last two weeks 
And you're right. They needed him to. 49ers needed one defensive stop to get back in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bosa didn't, didn't deliver it. Watt, on the other hand, is covering slot receivers, making moves on, on passes like defensive backs. Um, in which a, a, a veteran quarterback who couldn't possibly have experienced more football than Matthew Stafford has mm-hmm. didn't even see him, didn't think that was going to happen at all. It was the easiest completion of the day. If you look at his body language and the way that he read that play, he had no idea T.J. Watt was sizing it up the entire time. Um, it, it, at this point, side to side, not to take anything away from Bosa last season, absolutely deserved to be Defensive Player of the Year, in my yeah. opinion. Right. But over the course of their careers to date, um, Bosa's on the, the shorter end of the stick, partially due to injury, but he doesn't do it at such a high level every single game the way Watt does. And we get into, you know, I, I, I think if anything, people are, uh, they get stuck in uh, describing Watt in terms of today against his, uh, true contemporaries, you know, Miles Garrett uh, probably being the primary one. We don't look at the, the bigger picture with him, the sense of history, and recognize the fact, you know, he's seven years into a career, but it, it really doesn't feel like that. Right. And he's been playing at such a high level now for so long, it, it makes you wonder where he's going to finish. You know, where is he going to end up in his career? Pass rushers tend to not. Uh, be every down dominant players over time. It's a very athletic position. Uh, it takes a toll on you physically. There's a lot that you have to do, and they ask Watt to do a ton. It, you have to wonder how long he's going to last, but then he goes out and has games like he had against the Rams. Um, he, he single-handedly wins this team's game. This team games over, he has over the last couple of years. It, it's remarkable to see him still playing at the level that he's at. And right. Bosa, as, as incredible of a player he is, he doesn't touch Watt at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that just there are so few football players beyond a quarterback that can take over the game. And right now, in my opinion, T.J. Watt has shown the most ability to do that over the longest amount of time among defensive players not named Aaron Donald. You know, right. Donald's the king. Can keep him off to the side. He's also played a lot more uh, than the sure. ones we've talked about have. Um, mm. But what the the level of uh, you know superiority in terms of of clutch plays and how much higher he is than his opponents, it's remarkable. Um, I I don't know how many people in history we've really seen uh, elevate his game the way he does on the defensive side of the ball in in big moments the way he has. And I know how highly you think of D'Amico Ryans. Since you were at the game Monday night uh, at the Viking ship, uh, great building. Uh, the Am I right about that? It felt like they kept showing six, and then they'd just drop Warner and Greenlaw, and they'd rush four. I felt like they did that all night, and it kind of gave Cousins time to do what he wanted to do. It was it, it was interesting to me because what you saw a lot of with Cousins is that the second play of the game, it seemed like he checked out of something and into a bootleg, which, oddly enough, Kirk Cousins is not uh, exactly fleet of foot, but he's a, a, a very effective quarterback off of play action and outside of the pocket. You know, you don't want to send him out there uh, unless you have to, but on design stuff, he does pretty well with it. 
And the Vikings kept that action in the whole game. He was almost taking an extra step before handoffs. Uh, that was his play action. He showed almost like he, he's looking to give and then uh, get out of the pocket. They had a plan to do that. I think some of that was to try to slow down the linebackers from those A and B gap blitzes. And you're looking at the combination of, of Greenlaw and Fred Warner. I mean, that's that's about as hard uh, yeah. to, to plan for on multiple levels for any offense you're going to get in the game. And it's a big yeah. part of the reason why San Francisco has had the success that it's had, um, not over the last two games, but mm-hmm. a, a, an excellent defensive team overall in terms of, of, of scheme, in terms of personnel. They do things really well, and you almost have to create stuff like that. Um, I don't want to call it misdirection. It's almost more sleight of hand and commit to it. Because now you have to have a, a, a largely immobile quarterback mm-hmm. showing a boot action on every single play, <laughs> just mm-hmm. for the sake of trying to get those guys out of um, the, the out of a gap, out of the middle, uh, and slow them down a little bit, so you can be a little bit more effective. And they had some success with that uh, up until the point where they they tried the the tush push twice, which was right. uh, embarrassingly bad. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. when when Kirk was in a rhythm, you saw that that Warner and Greenlaw. It's not that they were neutralized so much, but they had to have that thought in their head. And I think you'll mm-hmm. see teams doing that against them more and more, and they'll they'll figure out a counter to it. Maybe they just say, "Fine, if you want to act like Kirk Cousins is going to bootleg on every play, go ahead. We'll come after you." But um, they they struggled up front. The Vikings' offensive line uh, did a remarkable job against a very good defensive front seven. I don't think that's a, a, a typical result that we'll see the rest of the year, but um, it, it hats off to them schematically. The Vikings won that game. Wait, uh, I'm going to stick with this game for a moment because you were there. Brock Purdy, he got pressure. He got pressure against Cleveland, and Miles Garrett will do that, but he got pressure last night as well. How well is he seeing the field, in your opinion, as somebody who was there? Um, I felt that's one of the better games I've probably seen Cousins play. I, I felt he was. Well, I'm talking. Yeah, I'm talking about Purdy. Or Purdy. Sorry. I, I in in many ways, Purdy. It, it, here's the thing with him, and this is what's so much fun to watch with him. He he has excellent anticipation. Mm-hmm. He's a very decisive quarterback. Um, he made a couple throws that were like, wow, that's they really impressive. There was a long drag from Kittle that I recall, probably the 15, 18-yard mark. Um, he gets the ball. He kind of hops, steps back. When his back foot hits, he's delivering it somewhere. Yeah. And he's not targeting any one particular receiver. He, he, you know, he moved the ball around pretty good. They blanketed Kittle for the most part. And he, he's a good player. They tried to go to other options. I thought A, a looked really good. Um, but it, it, it looked like maybe there was you know, a miscommunication or two. One of the two interceptions was pretty bad. I'm sure he wants both throws back. But one of them seemed to be more the receiver stopped as opposed to uh, running through the route. He's pushing late in the game. You see, you can kind of get a, a sense of where that comes from. But uh, he definitely 5,000 times better than he was against Cleveland. Uh, the Cleveland game, he was bad. Uh, I, I thought he played pretty well. Um, not his best game, but... You're you're on the road a Monday night game. Um, it was it was loud, uh, pretty raucous crowd. 
you you have to think he's you know in many ways too playing at Iowa State. He's got a lot of fans in that stadium. He did. There are a bunch sure. of people wearing Iowa State jerseys. Sure. Um, I I felt he could have probably played a little bit better, but he set the bar so high for himself already to the point where you're hearing the the, the pundits on the morning morning shows talking about. See, I, I told you he wasn't elite. You mean the guy with 14 career starts who was the last pick in the draft in his second year? <laughs> Is not an elite quarterback. Yeah. We have to argue this. This is something to debate. It, it goes to show, though, it, it's not so much about where he was when he started. It's about how he's developing. And if you are looking at him as a development project, which you still need to look at, look at him as because he's really young. Um, I, I thought he did an excellent job. Um, there, there are some issues I think with the team overall. You know, the lack of Trent Williams, the lack of Debo Samuel. That's going to take any offense down. Those are two All Pro level players. Sure. It, it's hard to execute without that when you're used to having that. When you have to game plan around it, uh, and they came pretty close. You know, I, I thought they did a good job considering the environment that they were in. Uh, he could have been a little bit better, but you have to be. Uh, very encouraged by the fact that that's the kind of conversation that you're having. There are a lot of teams with other quarterbacks that uh, mm-hmm. have played longer than Purdy has that have the full strength of, of their offense behind them that did not do the things that he did last night. So uh, San Francisco is such an interesting team to watch. and they're, they're, they're so talented and they're so well coached. The expectations on the former Mr. Irrelevant or just it's it's mind-blowing how far he's come from where he was and it really makes you think what is his ceiling can he continue to grow and I think he can largely because he just has great anticipatory skills and he makes decisions and he goes with it he doesn't hesitate uh he delivers catchable balls again he missed on a few I don't think he was perfect by any stretch but I, I thought he played pretty well overall within his game he doesn't need to, to be Justin Herbert hitting 30-yard outs on a dime, uh, he can go to who's there and what's there and and be happy with it. It, 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 Some might call that a system quarterback. I call it a smart quarterback uh, because he's largely effective in doing it. He hit receivers uh, that could run after catch, that could make plays, and uh, they they had some success, not as much as you would probably expect, but a lot of different reasons for that that are beyond just him. I'll transition back to the Steelers because here's the schedule. The next three games are all at Ackershire Stadium. They got Jacksonville. Then they have the Thursday night game with Tennessee. Then Green Bay. Now, we, you and I both know we don't know what to expect every week from the Steelers outside of T.J. Watt. But how favorable is this potential run for them here? Oh, God, this gets harder and harder every week. Um, I know. I, I I don't know, you know. I, it's the hardest team in the NFL to bet on. Um, yeah. Oh, no doubt. I would think that they'd be field goal favorites. I haven't seen it yet. I'd imagine they'd be field goal favorites over Jacksonville, but that's a tough matchup for them. Um, Jacksonville's a very aggressive front defensive team. Mm-hmm. Um, the offensive line that, that played really well, I thought last week uh, against the Rams, um, when they got you know things probably a little better figured out than, than they had right away. And they played an excellent game. Can they do yes. that again? I, 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 maybe that's the biggest question. Can the Steelers do it again? That, that's the question we ask every week. Are they going to get you know suffocated offensively, or are they going to come out and have a, a pretty strong performance? 
one of those two things happened the previous week, and you don't know whether or not it's going to happen again. Um, that said, you know, I, I think we know pretty well who they are, and their 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 mm-hmm. magic ability is to drag teams down to the level that they're at and play the game in the muck, um, get a team out of rhythm, get a team off balance offensively. I think they, they did a great job of that against the Rams, um, largely bottling up Cooper Cup. Now, granted, they give up a bunch to somebody else, but it's not as if the Rams were uh, hugely productive for the whole game. You know, it, it was kind of a bend but don't break situation. They gave up a lot of big plays but didn't give up points. Um, that that says great and terrible things about a defense at the same time, and that's just kind of who they are. Um, that said, if they're going to make hay this year, it's going to have to be in this three-game stretch. Um, it, it's it's critical that they stack wins um, given the limitations that they have. But the encouraging thing here to really look at is you got Deontay Johnson back, and you saw the difference with Johnson on the field offensively, a, a much more uh, uh, fluid um, passing concept existing on a play-to-play basis. They didn't have that before. It really just kind of looked like backyard football, Kenny dropping back and throwing to whatever he sees after four seconds. Uh, mm-hmm. With Johnson there, you had a reliable target. Right. Uh, unfortunately, you lost Fryermuth in exchange for Johnson, though, so another step back in that way. But you get Hayward back here pretty quick on defense. You can fix some of the holes that you have uh, as far as your run defense goes, it's only going to help your pass rush. They're going to be better. And the fact that they're four and two, you got two choices how you want to view them moving ahead over the, you know into the quarter of the season mark that we're at. Uh, you can look at how they won four games, which I don't know if they can do again. Or you can just simply say they, they have not hit their highest end yet. I think that's as fair a statement as you can make about the Steelers. They can play a lot better because they're still averaging 17 points a game. They can get a lot better. Um, And, you know, you tend to kind of think, and maybe this is just coming off of a a, a thrilling win, you you kind of think that they're closer to kind of putting this whole thing together. Um, What do they need to do that? I think they need more explosion. I think they need better pass protection. We're seeing that. Johnson back on the field is going to do that. Credit to Dan Moore. um, Probably, I don't know how many instances there have been among Steelers games in the last 10 years in which the fan base actively rooted against one guy starting, but that was him, and he played a great game. He did a great job. They got back-to-back excellent performances from their starting left tackle. That hasn't happened in a long time. I know that. Their interior line played a lot better than they have, certainly late in the game. Uh, they they put a lot of positive things together in a tough road win uh, that they can build on, leading into a, 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 a very sneaky, competitive uh, AFC rival. This is a big game for them. And beyond that, you know, they, they two or three, you have to think that there's a legitimate chance that they could steal the division. Uh, off of who I feel are two better teams in in Cincinnati and Baltimore. Um, this is just what they do, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You, you got to kill them before the fourth quarter. I I I, I like to think that that's going to apply to the season as well. You, you better get a lead on them because they're going to come back on you. Always a pleasure, my friend. Great work as always. 
Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Neil Kulong joining us on the show today. We'll wrap it up in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK.